0: DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Syringa Networks is home to complete business, telecom, and IT solutions, backed by an interesting leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. All right, the question of the morning. Should the Utes bother with a bowl game? Kyle Winningham says he's going to leave it open to the players. If they beat Washington State, then he'll ask them, if they don't beat Washington State, they're not going bowling. If they beat Washington State, and then after the game he'll ask him if they want to go to a bowl game, and he said the players will decide that. That was uh, yesterday, and then today he came on and said it's a player's program. Everything we do is with the players in mind. And i got to say, even from the coaching perspective, PK, what is the point of taking them to a the bowl game if they don't want to be there and they're poorly motivated? It's probably going to lead to a bad performance. There's not that much to gain, and I suppose with injury, there's a lot to risk. So... Leave it up to the players. You get that logic. Fans are weighing in and they largely want the youth to go to a bowl game. I think that is, uh, at the core of that, it's what you said earlier. We like to watch games.
1: Yeah. The mind is totally selfish. I have to be 100% honest in saying that. I want to see them play a game because it's something for me to do and I enjoy knowing that, especially a local game. I've got BYU-Utah, Utah Utah State, I've got that game to look forward to at 5 o'clock, fill-in-the-blank, weekday night. Yeah, I I look forward, I would love to be able to sit down on a Sunday and say, I'm going to be able to watch BYU football today.
0: Jaron says a bunch of extra practices, plus one more game to get our young guys experience. Regardless of the opponent, it's a win for the future.
1: See so now you missed the point. I will never be able to sit down and say on a Sunday I've got BYU football to look forward to. Today. I
0: did miss the point. <laughs> I'll come clean. I missed it too.
1: Oh, jeez, guys, come on! This is why Rolling we miss you in studio because normally you
0: give us like that wink when you say something yeah.
1: like come that. Come on, guys. <laughs> okay, a okay, team. we got that one. Thanks, we got that done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, that one that one actually came up yesterday. yesterday Yaqui's that. Meeting. Yaki is that.
1: <laughs> Come on, guys. We're all in this together, man. When I say something <laughs> hysterically <laughs> funny, you're supposed to fall on the floor laughing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jason says, Never. Why do they even play? Jason's stirring the pot. He puts a little oh, uh, smiley Jason. emoji in there
1: afterwards. Don't give me noonka. I don't want never in Spanish. Never, never, never. No, two words. Two words. We're done. That really doesn't have the ring to it. If he goes in the locker room to celebrate the win, because will he do that? Will Kyle do that? Because right now, under the Pac-12 rule, technically they're not bowl eligible.
0: Nope, they got to win the game. Have a have a three and two record.
1: Or is it? Is it? If you were five hundred, would you I be? I think eligible? they're okay. Obviously, I, they can't.
0: I think they're okay at five hundred. So at this moment, they are. But because of the Washington State game, right? If they win, they will be. If they lose, they won't be.
1: Okay, so for like for the Devils, have only played three. They would be if they win. They two would be two. two and two. So yep. they would be eligible, right. right? But since they're playing in. E- they're playing even number because of the screwy situation and the Utes are playing an odd. odd number because of yeah. the screwy situation that they have to win to have the two words, two words. Will there be that level of excitement? No,
0: no, that was, that was three years of frustration. Well, two and a half seasons of frustration built up.
1: Well, there's frustration in every season. Last The last two years have ended in frustrating fashion for the Utes.
0: Well, if he had a chance to say, Pac-12 champs, he would, because you're right, that's been the frustration. But he's well, not going to have a chance yeah, to say that. Why
1: not claim it
0: this year? I <laughs> Go UCF, huh? <laughs> Just make yourself a banner and hang it out. Well,
1: who is the Pac-12 champion this year? We don't know. There's no such entity, and they're going to play a 3-2 and two Oregon team? Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, let's just uh, – let's just. well, we want USC and Oregon, so it doesn't matter. Let's just have them play. <laughs> I mean, geez, what the hell here, man? Who's on first? We don't know what's going on this year. So I think that, though, if they get excited – and they always seem to dance and scream and yell and carry on and party-like atmosphere every time they win, and that's fine. It's college. Go ahead and do that. You know, this is not the NFL which is a serious, serious business. This is just a serious business. Uh, and the NFL takes it up another level, as they should. But I think that if you left that up to them in the moment, in the locker room, on Saturday afternoon, I think they would vote to play. Let's go. Let's keep going. Uh,
0: so should the youths bother with a bowl game? And Michael Squat- Scott says, of course. This question, for its lack of thoroughness, thoughtfulness, and logic, must be placed upon the pedestal with the other question of the century. Are we there yet? DJ, DJ, come on, man. Well,
1: that was my question, so I take full credit for it.
0: Well, it's literally— but, see, but here's the deal. It's literally Kyle Winningham's present, uh, question. So, uh, Michael, why don't you hustle up there on the hill and tell Kyle that he lacks thoroughness, thoughtfulness, and logic— and we'll be right behind well, you with cameras I, to document what happens I, I, next.
1: I would agree. In most <laughs> situations, he does lack uh, thoroughness and whatever the
0: thoughtfulness you know, and logic,
1: honor, pride, and tradition, or whatever.
0: <laughs> you are mixing a match tradition, spirit, honor.
1: <laughs> so my neighbor, he got all worked up. He's probably listening when they had that uh, the the name, not the slogans on the back of their jerseys, in the first game, and he pitched a fit and he vowed never to uh, watch the Utes again. So the last couple of games when they've been winning, I, I will text him. And, of course, I'll take the – what did they have? Like unity, togetherness, love, peace and harmony, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever. I looked right past it. The only thing I didn't like is that it was the first game, and, I, and they changed numbers, and they got new kids. And so I ha- had to keep looking down at my roster to see who was doing what. In that situation, That was like the only thing that really bothered me. Uh, but I wasn't bothered by it. But what I'll text him now, I said, wow, defund the police sure had a great run right there. And, and I'll make these inflammatory sayings toward him. Now people, Some people would view inflammatory, not everybody. But I know he would, and it gets under his skin when I do that. But he did acknowledge, he said, hey, I did watch the last 10 minutes of the Colorado game, but don't tell anybody. And then I said, too late. I already put it on Twitter. <laughs> Always
0: stirring the pot, PK. <laughs> Always stirring the pot.
1: So, reminding me of those, uh, what, what, did, what did Michael Scott say?
0: Uh, <laughs> Thorough, uh, lacks thoroughness and thoughtfulness and logic and, and needs to be put on the pedestal with the other great question, are you there
1: yet? <laughs> are we there yet? <laughs> well, I'm hoping that they have a decision to make, and I think they will have a decision to make. Scott says you assume
0: Utah would be invited this year. No projection today has them slotted for a game.
1: Right. That's why I go back to where I watched, listening yep. to Herm Edwards speak yesterday. He said there's things that could become available, and I don't think he was expe- he wasn't speaking exclusively for himself. I think he was speaking for the conference in general, so there could be stuff. And if there's not, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think there will be a sense of relief, too. I really think they're in a, a like a no lose situation. You got to win the ball game, and that'd be a downer if they didn't win the ball game. But win the ball game, and if you finish it up, all right, well, good. That's great too. You finished up with three wins in a row and three conference wins. Conference wins always good. Doesn't matter who who's against what the other team's record is. The conference win is something that you don't kick back. You take it, uh, and you feel good about it. so especially if you had three in a row and it's all about next season anyway, with or without a bowl, it's clear that it's next season. It's clear that this season was nothing more than laying the groundwork for contention in next year. And going forward, it uh, doesn't seem like there should be any reason why this team shouldn't be in contention. I have to see, who no. comes back for SC?
0: And we have to see what the transfer portal looks like and recruiting them. I mean, it's all over the map. The, next year's going to be wildly unpredictable when you get to the specifics, but generally, should the Utes be in the top third of the league and in contention? Well, Yes. They, they've shown that through uh, through four games here.
1: Uh They've shown for next year. Right.
0: They, what, next year, should the Utes be in contention? And of what we've seen in four games, the answer is although yes.
1: Although I didn't really need to see it this year. I expected contention next year, not so much this year.
0: Off the way the previous three-year cycle went, I get why you would say okay. that.
1: But I'm saying it even more confidently having seen the games, because I couldn't have told you that Ty Jordan was going to emerge to this level. Right, I'd be lying if I said that. And I wasn't really sure how Nephi Sewell would play moving up from safety to linebacker, but I've been impressed with him. I was pretty sure about Devin Lloyd, pretty sure about the defensive line, all that stuff, but I wasn't really sure about about Sewell, and I think that he's played well, and Ty Jordan... And I'd have to look off to go through everybody else in the league. I don't even know if they give freshman of the year or it's a newcomer or what have you, but he should be right there. Uh, what he's done has just been nothing short of amazing, particularly when you look at that he wasn't the starting back, I don't believe, against SC. And I don't remember how many carries he had. He asserted himself in limited carries, and then obviously Ludwig, who's a bright man, figured out, okay, we got to get this kid more, and then – the thing that I like about Colorado is there was a bunch of times he was bottled up. So it's not like every run was all that, but keep plugging away, keep pounding it, and sure enough, man, he got the job done in great fashion. That, that, that to me, is what you're looking for in a running back because there's going to be some plays where you're only going to get one or two yards. It's just the way it goes. But do you have those big explosive plays? Can we count on you you know, Devils did it like last year with Eno Benjamin, right? It would be some games or some carries that just didn't work. But you, you stay with it. John White did it. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. And then boom. And I actually think that he, and this is crazy to say, and maybe I'm going to regret this, and I'm so far ahead of myself, but he seems a little bit more big play capability than Moss and Booker, and those are two NFL backs. So as I say that, I'm raising my right hand to the back of my head and smacking myself.
0: Yeah, but I think that uh, I think you're onto something there. And I think to the degree that it's four games, four games does not make a career. So that's the, if you're going to pump the brakes, that's why you pump the brakes. But the only game, he's played four games, and the only game he didn't have a 30 yard carry was the first one. SC, he didn't start, and he only got seven carries in the game. And afterwards, Kyle said, we need to use him more. And they gave him 10 carries against Washington, and he had a 46-yard run. We all remember it. Down the left side, didn't get in the end zone, right, but set up a first and goal. He had a 31-yard against Oregon State, and we all remember the 66-yard touchdown run against Colorado. So you're, you're right. It's there. The guy's 61 carries into his college career. Four games. And he's already had... Three of those four games, he's had a 30-yard run. So, yeah, he's a big-time breakaway guy. I'd have to go back and look at uh, Moss and Booker's breakaway numbers to know the comparisons. Moss, even though he's a bigger back, and I thought he was real effective in that 5-8-yard to carry range, uh, I think we can all close our eyes and see him breaking big runs. I just can't tell you off the top of my head how many of them, how frequently he had them.
1: Well, Moss was so consistent, and he was great in the passing game, too. I think Booker had something like a 90-something yarder against Oregon State, was it, up the middle?
0: Oh, uh, I think you're right. I yeah, think you're right. I had forgotten that. That's yeah.
1: the one that stands out to me. Moss is just, just this consistency. And, I mean, I don't know him that much, but being around him – at practices and in interviews. Consistency is what Moss was about. He was so solid yeah. in all aspects of his life that you knew that this kid's a winner.
0: We didn't talk to him that many times, but every time we did, he was very impressive. And you got why you got why they wanted to get him all the way out of Florida and you got why Kyle always spoke so highly of him. Yeah, it was just solid. Yeah, it wasn't hard to figure it out.
1: Solid kid through and through.
0: And any any of you listeners who'd been up there in our shoes, you'd have figured it out too. It, it wasn't a hard read. All right, DJ and PK coming up next. Brandon Huffman, twenty four seven sports. The Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies. Who are they getting? We will talk recruiting with Brandon next. Stay with us.
2: <laughs> Number one. in the Zone Sports Network.
0: PK, it's 975 and 1280 the zone, and we're gonna spend a few minutes talking recruiting now with Brandon Huffman, 24-7 Sports. He's the National Recruiting Coordinator. Brandon, good morning. How you guys doing? Doing well. I am curious before we get into the into any of the specifics. Uh, in Utah, we had high school football. We know in other states that hasn't happened. Either it will happen in the spring or possibly in some states it won't happen at all. How much has that messed up recruiting this year, aside from the fact that you know, there's less on-campus visits and coaches aren't going out to see recruits? I mean, that's a whole other thing, but just the fact that a lot of states didn't even play in the fall.
2: Yeah, I think Utah is obviously the, the focus of jealousy of just about every state out west. You know, Not just that they played, but they completed a 14-game season. And you look at a guy like Jackson Dart, who directly benefited from having a season and how his recruitment took off as a result of that, that's what changed. There's a lot of guys in California and Oregon and, and Washington and Nevada who anticipated a similar type of senior season you know, explosion, that would have seen their recruitment take off. And, you know, there's still the question of if they'll even play and when they'll play. And it could be well after signing day. I mean, if you think about Washington, Oregon and Nevada, they may not start playing until March at this point, And signing day will have been a month before. So it, it definitely helped in the case of players in Utah. But there's a lot of guys out West that have seen their recruitment really just peter out as a result of their not being in football this fall.
1: Uh, You brought up Dart. He is the big high-profile kid. I was told that it's between the two Pac-12 L.A. schools.
2: What do you know? That's what a lot of the buzz has been between USC and UCLA. A lot of uh, buzz building for USC, uh, especially with USC. They were planning to bring in two quarterbacks in this class when they lost their quarterback a year ago, Bryce Young to Alabama, got a commitment from Jake Garcia, then got a commitment from Miller Moss. But they offered Dart a few weeks ago. And Garcia ultimately decommitted, and they've gone all in on Dart. There obviously is a a returning starter next year at USC, Keaton Flobos, who theoretically could be there for another couple years. Uh, But Dart is really filling the Trojans from all reports, and it it sounds like USC is in a good position to get him. UCLA is making a push as well, uh, but it really sounds like USC is going to be who he ultimately chooses this week. We'll see. I know BYU and and Arizona State are also trying to make a push for him as well, but things are looking rather well for USC at this point with Dart.
0: So I'm curious about how some of these high-level quarterbacks uh, judge things. Uh, you know, it seems like the risk in going to USC is that coaching staff could be fired any year. And at the same time, if they have the kind of big season that preserves Clay Helton's job, it's also the kind of season gets the OC a job. So that, with the fact that you'd be one of two or three quarterbacks going into a class, seems like a negative. I know there are coaches who have this run-first reputation, uh, and that probably Utah-UCLA in the Pac-12, just, or ASU, you know, run first, play great defense. Uh, But even those quarterbacks get to throw the the ball 25 times a game. So you got a chance to make your mark and show what you can do. And you might have the play action available to you because they're such a good running team and hit on big plays. How do kids weigh all that? Or honestly, do they just look at Oregon uniforms sometimes? Like, Hey, I want to play. I want to wear those cool jerseys. I mean, how does this work for these high level quarterbacks?
2: I would say that quarterbacks probably are the most judicious and probably the most deliberate in their approach. I also, you know, it's interesting to say that, given that quarterbacks probably commit earlier than any other position, but a lot of it's because they were recruited earlier. And so they've had a lot more time to go and get a feel for the school, get a feel for the OC, get a feel for the quarterback coach, get a feel for the head coach and the offense, watch and see how players have been developed. And, you know, you, you look at situations where, Take last year when DJ D- Uyangaleli, the number one quarterback in the country for the majority of the year, committed to Clemson You know, three months, four months after Trevor Lawrence had led them to a national championship as a true freshman. So by math, DJ knew by the time he got to cl- Clemson, he would be backing up, you know, arguably the best quarterback in college football and knew – he had a year to learn from Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, he had opportunities to start during the season, but he went there knowing I'm going to have the opportunity to learn from Trevor Lawrence, and I'm okay waiting until 2021 to be the starter. On the flip side, Bryce Young, quarterback who was committed to USC out of modern day, commits to Alabama when it becomes really obvious Tua Loa was going to be leading for the NFL. Mac Jones happens; he ends up playing later in the year when Tua gets hurt, takes that starting job. But Bryce Young goes there thinking. I'm going to have the opportunity to be the starter as a true freshman Alabama. Clearly Nick Saban went that route at times with Jalen Hurts and Tua, so they factor in. Maybe it's better for me to sit. Some will factor in. Maybe I have an opportunity to play right away, and we obviously see the transfer portal becoming such an effective tool for quarterbacks. And, you know, in years past people say, well, they're afraid to compete. That's why they're transferring. no. The reason they're transferring is because they want to compete, but there's only one quarterback that's going to get on the field. They want to transfer somewhere so they can play as soon as possible. So I think that's the other thing quarterbacks have in the back of their head is if you go and you 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 miss out on an opportunity, the quarterback position is such a premium position, you're still likely going to have a pretty good opportunity if you put your name in the portal and the school is desperate for improved quarterback play.
1: So I heard a theory, and I want your reaction, that this uh, transfer portal, particularly with the one-time transfer going forward, it's really going to potentially benefit the teams that don't need it, you know, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, and so forth. We know who they are. The theory being that, wow, if they're offering me a scholarship, I need to take advantage of it because I know I'm going to be playing in a winner. I'm going to be playing in the bowl. I'm going to be receiving all sorts of attention, and maybe we get in the playoff. And then, if it doesn't work out, well, I don't really lose anything because I can transfer to, depending on you know how good you are, the next tier, two tiers, however many tiers below, and be immediately eligible, so I can get out on the field. So I've got to take this chance to go to the biggest of the big time see how it works, and then if it doesn't, well, then I can always go
2: someplace else. I agree, and I think that there—that that is the mentality, and I, I 100% believe that theory. The flip side of that is, is the execution of that theory still going to be the case when the transfer portal is overflowing? And I think there was a statistic earlier this week that I, I'm trying to remember the numbers, but it was something along the line that like 50 to 60% of guys that go into the portal never come out, and they never end up transferring to school. And you run the risk of losing the scholarship at the school that you're at. So there are risks to going into the portal. There's some guys that are high profile enough that they're going to have plenty of opportunities, plenty of options when they go into the portal. Then there's other guys that they go into the portal never to be heard from again. So it is very much a calculated risk. And it's fascinating, too, because the the other thing I've been hearing a lot more lately is I heard from a couple Pac-12 schools. They plan to recruit the transfer portal heavy in January and February of 2021 and maybe won't sign as big a classes tomorrow or in February, largely because they'd rather go get guys that are 20, 21 years old that have been at a different university. So they know they've been on a college weight program. They've been in a strength and condition. They've been in a nutrition program. And they're not having to deal with the extra stuff that often comes in recruiting. You know, the people that are – you're controlling the recruiting of a recruit, the people that are, you know, more interested in the photo shoots and the uniforms rather than football. These guys now realize this is my last shot. If I don't make this work, then I'm gonna end up in D two, D three, NAI purgatory. So I've got to make this work. So you get a little bit more of a serious recruit from the portal. I anticipate we're going to see more players in the portal because of how many players had to commit to schools, sight unseen coaching staff were met via digital, via FaceTime and Zoom and never in person to really get a feel. I think we're only seeing the, the beginning of just how massive the transfer portal is going to be. And on the same time, I think we're going to start to see more schools focus their attention on recruiting the transfer portals rather than still to be determined states of 17- and 18-year-olds.
0: Brandon Huffman joined us, National Recruiting Coordinator. That seems like it could screw up teams down the line, though, if they have too small a freshman class Uh, Or are they just planning on grabbing guys out of the the portal forever?
2: Well, and I think that the other thing that's throwing a, a wrench into this is the NCAA saying that this year essentially doesn't count from an eligibility standpoint. So now you've got 20 incoming freshmen. You have 20 seniors that you would have expected to go out that now are expecting to come back. And yet the NCAA hasn't named a hard number of how many guys can be on scholarship come the 2021 season. So is it 85, which is the limit now? Is it 95? Is it 105? And now schools are worried about filling out their recruiting class because just because the NCAA said there's an extra year of eligibility, the school's on the hook to pay for that. So the Alabama and the LSUs of the world can afford 105 guys on scholarships, but the San Jose States, the Toledos, they may not be able to afford any more than the 85 they're already funding. How do they manage their roster when they've got 20 seniors that don't want to leave? Do they kick them out? And now that's used against you negatively in recruiting. Do you try to you know, manage the situation? And so that's where the NCAA kind of leaves a lot of these schools in the dark. They haven't given them a number. So coaches are essentially trying to manage their rosters without any numbers to work with while trying to keep recruiting younger players keeping an eye on the transfer portal as if there's not enough to worry about. Now there's still the worry of, are we going to be able to have any of these guys, enough of these guys on our roster come next fall?
1: How are you ranking the top half of the Pac-12 in terms of recruiting?
2: Right now, I think Oregon has got the top spot in the Pac-12, but that could change if USC kind of poised to have what they usually do. I mean, last year was a little bit of an anomaly with USC having so much uncertainty under Clay Helton, you know, whether or not he was going to be retained for another year, especially with the new uh, athletic director coming in. But this year, they've really had a big offseason in terms of recruiting, and now they're 6-0 and or 5-0, and whatever they are, playing for the Pac-12 championship, so they're number two right behind Oregon, and kind of a surprise, Cal's had a really good recruiting class coming off their 2019 season where they went to a bowl, beat Stanford for the first time, they're at number three, Utah is at number four, and they're in position to close strong Obviously, getting Ethan Calvert was a huge pickup for them. Washington is at number five. And then Arizona State, which started off really strong, they're at number six right now. They could still close well. There's a couple of guys that they're in position to at least be in the final two or three, four, including Corey Foreman, who's the number two player in the country by 24 7 sports. He's down to Arizona, USC, Georgia, LSU, and Clemson. But a lot of buzz that he's staying out west. Will it be ASU? Will it be USC? I think that he ultimately the U.S.C. have seen this movie enough, uh, but what we're seeing here, too, is that U.S.C. kind of restoring order of where they're used to being in the Pac-12 in the top two or three rather than 10th like they were a year ago. Well, I think
1: most kids should go to ASU, just and that's without any bias, right, DJ?
0: Yeah, right. Good one. <laughs> talking to an ASU grad there, Brandon. Just blow them <laughs> off and keep moving.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I miss the Dennis Erickson days because – when Dennis Erickson was there you'd call a kid on his official or after his official visit and it would take about 15 minutes before you got the football being discussed on the official visit for the ASU Dennis Erickson days
1: I don't want to know what those 15 minutes <laughs> <ago>. <laughs> all,
2: all above the cup trust me
0: uh, sure okay we'll go with that. Uh, So I'm curious how you rank these schools because it's easy that there's only a handful of five-star and there's only a couple handfuls of four-star guys. And so I get how you can sort out USC and Oregon at the top. But there are so many three-star guys. I have a hard time figuring out... How you rank teams three, four, five, six, seven, and the Utes, who usually are ranked low, and they do have kids coming back from missions, and that doesn't factor in. And now I don't know how you're going to factor in transfer portal kids. So translating the recruiting rankings to the standings seems really difficult unless a URC or Oregon just hits it out of the park. That's pretty obvious.
2: Well, a lot of it is just, you know. Guys a lot smarter than me, engineers that created a formula. And so with Oregon and USC, you have 15 four-stars committed to Oregon. You have 12 four-stars mm-hmm. committed to USC. So we're really where you kind of see where, you know, the difference in the caliber of the three-star you signed or that you got coming from or the caliber of the four-star you got is what kind of separates, you know, three through seven or through eight. You know, we could call it class. They're the seventh-ranked class in the pac 12 They don't have one four-star commitment. Arizona State is one spot ahead of them with four four four-star commitments. So, naturally, Arizona State looks like they have a better class. But, you know, in terms of depth, Colorado has a pretty solid group that's all kind of bunched in together. You you have classes down at the bottom. Oregon State only has eight commits. So, naturally, their numbers are going to be low. And none of them are really high-profile. UCLA is right above them at 11th. They don't have any four-stars, you know, in the composite as well. So, for a lot of schools, it's more like, what does the middle of your class look like? You're going to have some highly ranked guys up at the top when you're in the top four or five in the conference, but really where you start to separate yourself from the top two classes being you know, large and four-star. It's how well have you evaluated and how well have you done in signing and landing commitments from kind of that second-tier guy? There's the high second-tier guys. The guys that are 88s, 89s, that high three-star just on the cusp of a four-star, but maybe just missing it, as opposed to the guys that are the 80s that are 81s that are just barely above, you know, really depth guys that you don't anticipate making much of a dent in their college career. Those 88, 89s are three-stars. Those 80 and 81s are three-stars. And we play with much more value on those guys that are the higher three-stars, and that's where you start to see those classes kind of being in that three, four, five, six spot.
1: How much can a team like BYU benefit in the immediacy when they have like a ten-in-one season that they're having now?
2: I've long subscribed to the theory that you really see the bump in the following year's class, and I think you know you have seen that with Utah. Yeah, they closed well a year ago, especially on the two days after the first signing day on the Thursday and Friday. But you're really seeing the bump of their 2019 season happening with 2021 class. I think with BYU. Their class, you know, maybe won't be the biggest just from a number standpoint, but they're really going to see that bump in the 2022 class. And largely because, you know, they're still like, hey, Kalani is definitely making it known. This is his program. This is what you can expect from BYU football. He's not – I mean, he's going to have his name mentioned for jobs because he's a game good coach, but he's showing he's not going anywhere. He's staying there. And the more stability you show on a program, you know, rather than coming off a season two years ago where, you know, they were under five hundred to now where they were playing for a potential New Year's Six Bowl. I think that stability really trickles down and resonates with the next class, especially in a pandemic year when more and more guys made early commitments. Tomorrow's gonna to be one of the most uneventful signing days I've had in a while, largely because there was so much concern and worry with the pandemic. Guys committed a lot earlier without getting to take official visits in the fall. Guys didn't stretch the recruitment out as long as they have. So I think BYU when they by the time they had their successful season. So many guys had already made a decision at that point, but maybe that bumped, you know, the, the Logan Fondos of the world, the John Henry Daly's, maybe that got them, but then that just is a preview into what I really think you'll see them make the move is with those 2022 guys.
0: So obviously uh, there's an investigation going in Utah State into what the president said on a Zoom call with 20 players. Obviously recruits talk to players and all of that, maybe less so with fewer on-campus visits. But how much is all of this going to hurt the Aggie class? How much is the coaching change impacting it? How much are Mountain West schools waiting for the second date to see who's available?
2: Well, I think there's, you know, to answer the first part of the question, I don't know that the investigation is going to move the needle all that much. I think Blake Anderson is going to be tasked with the responsibility of, hey, Put together a class that you can in the short amount of time that you can really ramp that effort up by February, but hit the ground running so that 2022 class doesn't show any real gaps in talent. I think the Mountain West is, you know, typically the, the program that or the, the, the conference that likes have in the early signing period. They can get those guys to sign in December rather than have to worry about them getting wooed and flipped in January or February, and I think the other advantage for a lot of Mountain West schools right now is that with the Pac-12 playing their season still, with games still going on, energy that would have normally been turned towards recruiting is being focused on the season, which makes it that much more difficult for those Pac-12 schools to flip and woo those Mountain West recruits. So I think the Mountain West kind of is enjoying the fact that there's less opportunity for their players to be flipped, um, but I think, that uh, you know, like is in the case with a lot of late coaching changes in the last few years with the early signing period. You'll sign who you can in December. The guys that really want to be here, they're going to come. But in the case of Utah State, you really try to ramp things up in the next six weeks and try to come up with some semblance of a class that's going to give you a nice little core and a foundation that you can sign in February.
0: Well, Brandon, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, giving us a few minutes here.
2: We bet you guys, anytime.
0: Brandon Huffman, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Coordinator. Your feedback on today's show coming up next.
1: And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere.
2: BYU top 25 team this year, nope. Overrated as usual. They were exposed against a Sunbelt team and will get exposed again versus Central Florida. Looking forward to it.
0: BYU generates a little emotion in this market, PK. Have you noticed that? Oh, a yeah.
1: I still think they're the top dog when it comes to college football because you combine the people who love BYU with the people who hate BYU, and that aggregate number is the biggest number we have in our community.
0: wonder if they get knocked all the way out of the polls with a loss to UCF. Certainly put would. a damper on things.
1: I would knock them out, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of feedback coming in right now and we've got some people, uh, (laughs) we got some people reacting. Um, Michael Scott was the one who, uh, tweeted at us, uh, earlier about, uh, the bowl game. Should the youths bother with a bowl game? And he said, of course, this question for its lack of thoroughness, thoughtfulness and logic must be placed upon the pedestal with the other question of the century. Are we there yet? DJ, DJ, come on, man. To which you said, well, it was your question, so you'll own it. But honestly, it was actually Kyle's response to a question. And I said, hey, go up there and ask Kyle, and uh, we're right behind you. And he said, touche, I would love to ask all sorts of questions, but I like my front teeth. And he's got a laughing emoji. You know, I wonder how much of this uh, goes to the point, and and some people have tweeted this at us, you know, the Utes will be the sixth or seventh bowl-eligible team in the conference. UCLA can also be bowl-eligible, and five teams already are. And the conference, uh, as Herm Edwards, you pointed out, Herm alluded to this in his media availability, well, there might be some things out there available that we don't know are available, meaning other bowl games may not be able, other teams may be pulling out of bowls and there may be games available, even though they don't have a Pac-12 contract. But the other thing here is, Kyle came on this morning and said, this is a players program. Everything we do is with the players in mind. You know, This is a great chance for something that Kyle may not feel very strongly about, and as a matter of fact, may not even be available to the team. A, if they lose, B, if they win and there aren't enough bowl games, and yet he gives the players this sense that they really are in charge of the program right before they talk to other players about signing on as recruits. And You know, you can come in, and when you're the new coach, like at Utah State with Blake Anderson, you recruit off your vision. Now, once you've been there four, five, six years, and Kyle's been there, are we in 15 PK? No, 16, 16. right? 16. You're 16. Yeah, you give your vision, but guys definitely want to know what it's like with this coach running the program. Kalani's getting to that point now. He's been there long enough. And so what the players say about you is critical. So this is a chance for Kyle – it may it may not even be anybody at the use call, but he gives the players the power. He says he gives them the power. He stands in front of them and says, this is going to be your decision. He goes out in the media and says it. And yeah, they may not even be offered anything. Brilliant.
1: I was talking to someone, talking about Kalani in his fifth year. Is it five He's or six?
0: finishing five, yes. He's yeah. finished up his fifth year.
1: And, and uh, this is something that I think is important. It's also a little bit obvious when you think about it. That Kalani has really made himself into an excellent head coach, and it's a process, and they're not really sure what's going on at the start. Bronco, Bronco (laughs) would tend to be very honest, though. You know, Kyle showed no weakness, not as much, but Bronco, you ask him. I remember asking him about that first year after he was like in year five. He said, "I didn't have a clue, absolutely no idea." When I look back, and. That's why I think it's important for BYU to come to the table and extend Kalani immediately because he's rounded himself into a good coach and now is not the time to start over. And you could potentially risk losing him if you do not put some money on the table and extend it some more years because he's gotten into a groove now, which makes sense because it's his fifth year. So naturally, anything you're doing at year five, you're probably going to be better at it than you were at year one.
0: Corey says, yeah, I think you should go to a bowl game because last year was awesome. I clicked on Corey. He's an Aggie fan. <laughs> so
1: Them fetchers.
0: All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scott are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.